לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Shalom, and welcome to a special edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamed. Joining me on my upper left corner here on my screen is Rabbi Perry Chesser in the middle. Rabbi Perry, you're at the middle, you're at the bottom, you're at the bottom square today. You know, Hollywood Squares, nobody knows what Hollywood Squares is. We're so glad to be with a special edition of the Parsha Talk. We usually call it the Yontif Talk, the Rigalim Talk. This is Shavuot Talk. We're going to talk about Shavuot today. We welcome, we welcome our, I think we're up to nine viewers now. We're delighted to have you with us. Uh, keep, keep, keep your devotion to this uh, beautiful program. We're, we're so happy. Uh, you're with us and you're spending some time as you're cooking or preparing or hopefully not in your car watching. So <laughs> we, are, we are talking about Shavuot. Shavuot is a, is a, a different holiday from Pesach and Sukkot. Shavuot celebrates Matan Torah. Uh, and let's start with that. Let's start with talking about what Matan Torah is. What how do we teach Matan Torah? What do we think about when we are talking about the giving of the Torah, the receiving of the Torah? I'm going to start with Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski from the Anche Chesed. Okay, well, thank you very much. This is a, you know, it's a really, um, first of all, I love Shavuot. I love it's the warmth of the weather. I love the intensity of, of study. Um, and but one of the things I love about Shavuot is that it's, it's, uh, it's clear that that it's the second half of Passover in a certain sense, right? We call uh, the in ancient sources called Shavuot Atzeret, the close off, and it began with Pesach, and you counted the the forty nine fifty days till till Shavuot. And what I think is particularly moving to me about this is that Passover represents uh, what what we might call freedom from. There's famous essay by Isaiah Berlin, there's two kinds of liberty, there's negative liberty and positive liberty. Negative liberty is freedom from those terrible people who would control you and you wouldn't get to live your own life as a subject, not an object. But freedom to the positive kind of liberty, ask yourself who you want to be, what kind of world you want to create. So Pesach, we got out of Egypt, thank heavens, no more Pharaoh. But then what? Okay? Um, Then what? What world do you want to create? And that's not attained by getting out of Pharaoh. That's attained by getting to Sinai and getting a direction for making life even more meaningful. So part of what uh, I think about Shavuot is this dynamic of, of moving from freedom from interference and freedom to create the world that you want to, that you want to have. Barry. So I think that's great, Jeremy. And I'm reminded that the the classical texts of Shavuot are the Ten Commandments. And there's a great passage by Martin Buber in one of his books that this is sort of the architecture of a sacred community, the Ten Commandments. So that Matan Torah, at least reading it perhaps as Buber might have, is a community festival of receiving the Torah in order to create this sacred community right now. And... The other thing I wanted to suggest is my favorite text for Shavuot is Shmo Yutet, 
which when I used to teach this in high school, I would call Exodus 19, there's less than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. Most of what we think is true about Revelation comes from the rabbis and not from the Torah text where hardly anything happens. You have these images of a volcano perhaps or this great storm and God speaking and the people are distant and trembling. And there is really no text there that we think of like the Torah. It's not the giving of the Torah, it's this great event where everyone is attuned to the sound of God, which sounds remarkably like thunder. Well, I mean, there, there, there is so much going on in Exodus 19. I mean, of course, we, we have our layers of rabbinic interpretation, but, but here the three of us are, are reacting to really a central question in Judaism. When, when the text says, Elohim et kol ha'ela, how do you understand that? What do you, what do you teach when you teach this? What do you say to people? And, and, and you know, even the word revelation kind of puts, puts glaze over people. I mean, revelation is, it's a hard word to understand. Revealing, showing. Here it's God speaks. God's, what does God speak mean, Jeremy? Well, we don't have, or, we don't have a, go ahead, Barry. It's not so clear that it's God speaking. So, Another piece of this is what's the connection between chapter 19 and chapter 20? The last verse of chapter 19 is Vayered Moshe El Ha'am Vayomer Aleyhem. Moses comes down and speaks, and the first thing that perhaps Moses says is Vayadaber Elohim. This is what God said. And so this he's is, reporting. Well, is he reporting, or the alternative view is that this, the, what we call the Ten Commandments, chapter 20, is God's view of Revelation. This is how God sees it, looking down as it were from the mountain. Revelation right, is me talking to you. We're going to get tied up in, in, in a thicket here of, you know, so how, how does this get communicated? How does this get written down and all that, which is you know, perhaps a, a subject for, for a whole other conversation. But what, I mean, I how do you frame that? How do you talk about it? Go ahead, Jerry. So it really is tremendously, it's a tremendously hard problem. I remember as a child, uh, and I'm sure so many of us as children have, have asked, well, when did God stop speaking? Okay, <laughs> the Bible, God's always talking to people. And when, when did God stop talking to people? And that's a, a kind of a frustrating experience as a young child. And I think that a lot of people uh, nowadays, of course, find this concept of communication from heaven, communication from um, another realm, which is so central to, to Judaism, that, that view that the distance between God and humanity is, is for a moment at least pierced by some sort of connection. It can be a hard sell, I think, to contemporary people. Um, as, as, you know, it, it is to me, I don't have any... Um, I don't feel an absence of divine presence. Um, I don't feel that, that God is not in my life. And the contrary, I do feel that God is in my life um, and that I can even sense God's presence. But it's not so much in, the, uh, in, in this overwhelming, you know, pyrotechnic way that, that uh, Exodus 19 or, or, or something explains. I like, you know, when I think about... Um, the texts that, that are really moving to me about Revelation are the ones in which the rabbis uh, 
um, the, 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 the boundaries between what God does and what hum humanity does are much more blurred, and it is a, a much less sort of obvious heaven speaks to earth and more of a meeting of heaven and earth. You know, it's not only that God that God comes down, that Moses also goes up. It's a meeting of God and humanity. My favorite text is a, is a passage in, in the Gemara and Tractate Brachot on the verse, very small little verse, Moses speaks and God answers in, in thunder or answers in a voice. And the, and the rabbinic midrash is, uh, Moses speaks, God answers with a voice. God speaks in Moses' voice. Now, what does exactly that mean? That the people heard perhaps a human speaker and understood that the human speaker was speaking superhuman language. So to me, um, the, 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 the meeting of, of heaven and earth at Harsinai is something like that. Uh, not so much God says, here, I wrote a book, here it is. It's that we, that we meet something that is beyond our typical ken and changes everything else for us thereafter. So I'm reacting to what you're saying. And of course, you know, I'm agreeing and, and, and thinking about it and thinking, you know, in terms of metaphors that I use to, to teach this, I, I typically teach this, uh, this idea as something breaking through, that, that God is apart from all reality and that, that God is trying to break through and that we are the receivers, if you will. God is a, tran you know, there's a, there's a message that is being transmitted uh, through a medium, we you know that's the metaphor. It's the same as radio signals. Somewhere there's a uh, a transmitter. I mean, you know, not that God is a, an object, uh, but but we're constantly getting a message, and then message has content, and and just like a radio has to translate the content into other kinds of information and forms of information. So do we have to translate that content into what is the Ten Commandments, or the notion of commandedness altogether, or the notion of relationship altogether? And so those, you know, I, I, I live with that set of metaphors, and, and I know that both of you have other, uh, other stock metaphors that, that you use. If you'd like to share it with our uh, listeners here, that would, be, that would be helpful. Well, which uh, listeners are we talking about? I know. <laughs> So one of the things that occurs to me is that revelation is a bridge between God and us. And bridges come in all shapes and sizes. Some of them are more stable than others. Um, the world, according to Rabbi Nachman, is a narrow bridge. Um, and perhaps what works for me about the bridge is that there is a connectedness, that a bridge only works if there's some kind of foundation on each side of it that holds the bridge together. And when we're on the bridge, I think we're thinking about getting across. We're not thinking about the bridge itself. And I think, you know, revelation is a tool for us to reach God. And alternatively for God to reach us. Jeremy. I, 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 uh, I tend to think uh, my, my religious life generally is, is a little bit more oriented towards the human reach towards heaven rather than the divine directive towards earth. So I, I tend to, to think that 
discovery is a little bit more the the operative metaphor for me or creativity i, I don't want to say that you know like mozart had revelation or or you know picasso had revelation i don't think it's the same thing but i do think that so one of the metaphors i like is like finding a well in the desert like sometimes they just struck in great surprise uh water that was sustaining and that kept them alive um and so i i i like i like those images of um of of discovery yeah by the way so two, two things two other things first of all i'm just struck in this conversation that uh, as max kedushin said um for for the rabbis who have had a concept or judaism have a concept they have to have a hebrew term for it so we don't talk about hit galut is a modern term um Matan Torah is a classic term. Revelation as, a, as an abstract noun is a modern term. It's not rooted in, in classical Judaism. The giving of the Torah, the giving of the teaching, that's, the, that's, that's Judaism's classic way of talking about these things. Mamad Harsinai, that's how we talk about things, more than the, that word hit galut. I would also say, by the way, you know, Elliot, you talked about content. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little content light in my revelation. Um, I'm drawn to those to those images of revelation or or of uh, ma'amad har sinai the, the the assembly at sinai of uh, of the divine self revelation like the first word of the ten commandments is i am and and we before the call began before we started recording uh barry was talking about the, the burning bush as the image i i think that's exodus chapter three tremendous story because it's the prefiguring of Mahmoud Harsinai. It's at the very same space. And what does God have to say there? Uh, hey, yeah, I am. So what I, my own religious orientation to these things is, is not, not so much Parshat Mishpatim, which is coming next, where we turn it into behavior, but just the I amness. So I, I want to react to that because I've never been um, compelled by the I am interpretation of a yeah. Because it's always it always seems that there's like the dot 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 imcha I am with you. To me, that that seems to be. I mean, it's it's deleted there. It's not in there. And asher But I think if you read carefully in that passage, it's I want to break through and make a relationship with you. And I I'm you know I just did a whole exercise reading you know pieces in each parsha, and I'm thinking one of the constant themes in in the entire Torah is I will be with you. In fact. I would say that it's the it's the core of of religious belief. It's the core of, of of religious life. Maybe I'm speaking personally in terms of the experience, the religious experiences, the yearning for for relationship, uh, the the consciousness of relationship, the 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 fear of this divine abandonment, which is the trauma that's a that's that is warned against by the end of the Torah. Uh, and and our favorite line, you know, Gam imadi, you are with me. I've I have nothing to fear. That's it. I think I think you're right. Everything else is 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 um, our culture, civilization. It's uh, it's the edifice on on that. If you don't have this sense of connectedness, this relationship, uh, it's you're 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 working really hard. I think. Yeah. So, 
Listening to Elliot, it seems to me, at least for the moment, that Ahaya Asher Ahaya is the divine counterpoint to the Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Achad. That God's uniqueness is that God is self-referential. Uber has this great translation of Ahaya Asher Ahaya as I will be however I will be. That I am there and I will be there, but you won't be able to say I will be there as this or as that. See, that, that's why once we start to have to kind of, you know, wrap ourselves in a pretzel to understand, then it, then it loses its meaning. Well, pretzels look like a heart. I know, but I want, I, I, want to, I want the text to reach into my chest and to, and to really, really pull me. And, I, I, you know, I've seen this interpretation. Harold Kushner had that interpretation. Others... I've had this interpretation. I find it very compelling. It's it's the statement of I want to be close to you. I want I want you to want me. You know? <laughs> so speaking in terms of Shavuot, how does God want us? There you go. So what let's talk it? about that. So so study. here we are. Study. We're engaged in study, and and many of us are going to be involved in this uh, you know all night or partial night study uh, and. Um, does, is that what God wants from us? Or, or what, what is in the activity of study that makes it so compelling, which we do, obviously, but what, what is it? What are we trying to do? Well, so I, I think that study is, is perhaps the characteristic, you know, Jewish religious mode. Um, tefillah too, of course, and, and ethical action too. But study is so profoundly layered. And, and listen, I don't want to... You know, I, I've had people observe to me that, um, you know, for example, the parents of, of developmentally disabled children or whatever say, you know, hey, wait, is, is it always about, like, being good at books? Is everything about being good at books? And, and, and of course it's not, okay? And we don't want to fall into a trap of saying that, that somehow having intellectual skill is, is, makes one a better person or a more... So we certainly have known people with, who have great, great minds, but kind of scanty spiritualized spiritual souls but i think that one of the things that makes study so central in judaism is this claim as, as uh, you know david hartman develops this so well in living covenant that you are not only capable of you know finding the food and figuring out how to get out of the rain but you are intellectually and morally adequate to engage in this conversation with the eternal right that you are you are in, you are morally adequate to be addressed by commandments. It says that so you're going to live in a certain way, and that you are intellectually adequate to to understand them, not only put them into practice like robots, but to understand them, think about their nuances, teach them to others, engage in disputes about them. Because there's nothing there's nothing simple, right? And that's one of the things about great about Judaism. The conversion candidates always invariably come to me and say, "Oh, you know what's so great? I grew up in such and such a religion, and we were told never to question anything." Okay, well, if you grew up in, in certain certain neighborhoods in Jerusalem or, or Brooklyn, you were also probably told never to question. But we have a great celebration in this religion that things are subtle and complicated and not obvious, and they're nuanced. And if you study, you can participate in that conversation and grow as a human being. So that's what that's the, the, the defining feature of Jewish life is the conversation. I mean, here we are. We're having this conversation. And, and, and that's where we, we all come 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 alive here and 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 this where i think shavuot is touching that uh, 
uh, Barry, I don't know if you have any reaction to, to Jeremy here and, and, and all that, but, but you know, what does, the, what does the exercise mean to you? What does, what's involved in it for you? What, what? So, and, and, and Barry, I, I want to just put, like, put one more asterisk on this. We, we work in shuls, and you work in a school. Yeah. And, we, and you, you really touch people's lives um, when they're working hard as young people to grow as minds. So I'm really interested in hearing your, your so, reaction. I, it's hard to say exactly. Um, I, I think that, you know, I like to read and I've always liked to read and I, I've read a lot of great books, but the Torah somehow is a great book in a way that other books I've read are not great books. And I'm not sure why that is. You know, I grew up with some traditional overtones, I suppose, and um like a lot of other people, I think I flirted with orthodoxy until I realized that it really wasn't for me. Um, so, you know, I subscribe to this view of Torah that it, there's a strong human component to it, but I've never lost sight of the fact that there's something divine about it that's not divine in other books. You know, when we talk about Shakespeare, for example, or Chaucer, we don't talk about people that were touched by God. And they were great literary artists. There's no question about it. Two of the greatest in the English language. But there's something about the Torah and the Tanakh. And even if we extend it as the rabbis do to their own literature, that has this, this face of God attached to it. Something's trying to break through. And, and, and our job is to find that. Our job is to be the Ozen Kashevet, to to listen, to, to be open to it. I, as again, I think, I think that this is what we are trying to do on Shavuot. I think uh, in, in where the programs work, and of course we're all gonna be, you know, in various degrees of online or in person or whatever. But, and, and there's just so much, it's just an explosion of material. It's, it's, it's mind boggling. You know, we could just talk for a second how, how this holiday has become uh, in, in, in our lifetimes, this holiday is nowhere near what it was. Shavuot was the stepchild of Jewish life. You know, for me growing up, nobody observed Shavuot. Well, I mean, there were maybe 15 people in shul on Shavuot, maybe 30 for Yisker. You know, today, you know, people are, are at least attracted to the idea that they, at, at whatever point of contact they can, however you define Torah, there's a place for them. I think that's amazing. It's amazing. So uh, what's valuable about the tikkun is that the tikkun is open to everyone. It doesn't matter, as Jeremy was saying, what your intellectual level is. There's a place for you at the table. And, you know, when we think about it, there are more Jews studying Torah probably on Shavuot today than stood at Mount Sinai. That's an incredible thing. It's a thing. mind-boggling thing to think about. Right? we finally taken that great image of B'nai Yisrael at Mount Sinai, and in our world Jewish community, we've recreated it because right. we're listening to the voice, the word of God. And, and even now, you know, it's a, it's a virtual Sinai. We're, we're all doing it online. We're doing it through Zoom and other kinds of platforms and, and having these conversations. There are recordings of, of lectures. There's tons of material. And, and there's a great, um, there's a, there's a Hasidic statement by the Kutzke Rebbe that I like a lot that, that gets to this point slightly. He says, why, why is it in the, in the tradition called Matan Torah, 
uh, and not Kabbalat Torah. Why is it called the giving of the Torah and not the receipt of the Torah? He said, because the Torah was given once, but it has to be received every single day. So uh, the, the affirmation that people can study and find the, the meaning in this great wisdom tradition and find the meaning of their own individual lives in the story that's much bigger than their individual lives. So, and, and those ideas, that, that is part of what makes these tikkunim so, so terrific and so much, uh, you know, makes a contemporary Jewish life really for, for all of its problems and all of its shortcomings, of which there are, uh, makes it really kind of thrilling. So let's let's turn to a couple of things. We don't have a lot of time left, but but let, let let me ask you the question: What do you like? What do you like to study? And what's your go-to things to study? And um, what are your strategies? What do you what do you? Well, my 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 kids, if they're listening, will know what the answer to this is, and will have a smile. And I, I'm actually going to do it. I, mean, I only have very short time, so I can't do the whole thing, on the Rabbinical Assembly Tikkun tomorrow night, um, is Shai Agnon's story called Hasiman, the sign, which is, which is a story of a certain kind of revelation um, that he is visited on Shavuot night, the, 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 it's 1943, and he has just learned that the Nazis have destroyed his hometown, and he, he imagines the people of his hometown, and and the poetry that they said, and that is that he keeps them alive in his mind, and he is visited by the revelation of the poet Shlomo Ibn Gabirol in his little synagogue in Talpiot. It's it's the revelation of a poem which he then cannot remember. Yeah. So um, so that is my favorite Shavuot text, and the other one, which which is which is related because it is about revelation that you can't quite keep your hands on because it gets away from you. And the other one is, is that famous Midrash about the, the mountain being held over their heads and said, okay, listen, you guys, do you accept the Torah? And if you, if you do good and if not smush. And, and so they accept the Torah. And then the Talmud says, with just brilliance, the Talmud says, okay, so the Torah is invalid because you can't force somebody to accept it. And, and, the, and that passage concludes with the statement yeah. that they accepted the Torah again in the time of Esther and Mordechai the time that God is most absent, it's not, the, the, the Torah is not most, most gripping and inescapable when God forces it on you. It's most, it's most important when God is not so obvious and we still hang on to it. Barry, what are your, what, what's your strategies? So, what are your go-to texts? You know, your... it depends. So this year I may actually come back to Shmo Yotet because um, I've been thinking a lot about it lately. One year we did Megillah Root, which is always topical. Sometimes I find something in Parsha Naso, which we can talk about next week, um, which has a lot of great stuff in it. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, one year I taught laws of homicide in Rambam. Um, there's a curious story. I can't even remember the story. One of the things that fascinates me about rabbinic literature are all the times when Neliyahu Anavi appears. Yeah. And um, it's crazy. And there's one involving some kind of a homicide where I think he was the one who knocked someone off who needed to be killed. And um, there's some reference in the Mishnah Torah to it. So we looked at that one year. So, you know, I have a day yet. Um, so whatever moves me, it's going to be a small crowd this year, my immediate family. Um, 
So we'll see. They're not very helpful. So I asked them what we should, what should we do? And I get a blank look. What so, about you, Elliot? What's your, what's I, your what's I, I did an exercise this year. I prepared a sheet for my congregation. Uh, and um, I, I tried to, to, I tried to take a, a, a play out of the, the Tikkun playbook, which is the, the classic Tikkun, I guess, invented by the Kabbalists was take a piece of each Parsha and read it through the night and then add, you know, add whatever you're adding. So I, I did the exercise, which is based on the question, is there one verse or one verse fragment of every Parsha that can leap at you that if you string them together, you can put the whole Torah together in one sitting. I'm not talking about, you know, read Rishon of every Parsha. So I did this exercise. I thought, oh yeah, it's gonna, you know, 54 Parsha, it won't take me long. It took me hours, it took me a lot of time. And I changed my mind a lot of time. It was a great exercise. I recommend it to everybody, which is if you just, if you're in between things, just flip open, flip open the Torah and Flip open a parsha and say, "What's what's driving you in any parsha?" So, for example, Breshit was Yehi Or, the unleashing of all creativity. Noah was Tzemenateva. I love the idea that God has to say, "Look, you you got to go on with your life, man. This is really hard. I know, I know, I know you don't want to go outside. It's in your time. I know you're depressed. I know everybody's dead, but it's over." Get out of the box. Okay. I bet I know what's coming next. Be'ebracha. Be'ebracha. Be a blessing. Easy one. Okay. I, for Vayera, it was, the day that Sodom is on, on fire, he goes out to the place. And I, I'm captivated by the fact that Avram had this conversation the day before, and that the day that it's being destroyed, he wants to go and meet God again. God, God, God's done. You know? You talked about it all the time. You know, God is always talking to you. It's not exactly true. Avraham, if you look under a magnifying glass, God is not always there for Avraham. And on and on and on it goes. I, have, I, I love Eliezer when he's been in, in Hayesar, my favorite minor character when he sits in front of the, you know, the, the scene. He's at the feast. Levan, Betuel are saying, you know, tell us, he, he eats something and he says, I won't eat until I tell my thing. <laughs> I love that. That's, that brings out the, the storyteller in me. And, and so I did this exercise. I found one little piece of every Parsha. I wrote, I started with 50 words. It was too long at 50 words. I, I ended up going down to 30 or 40 words per, per, per Pasuk. I gave it to my shul. And we'll see. And that's it, that. One, you pick... Not not the one story or one idea, no. one pasuk from each. I, not even a pasuk, but just a fragment of a pasuk, like kedoshim to you, obvious. Yeah. These are my obvious choices in those parshiot. But um, for example, Baruch Atabair, Baruch Atabasadeh, Baruch No, Baruch Atabivoecha, Baruch Atabetzitecha. That was one I chose. I mean, Vahafta, you know, that's a that's a fragment that's important. So my my challenge to people is. If you, if, if you don't have anything else to do and you have an hour or two, sit down with your Chumash, with your Tanakh, or with your Eitzachayim, your tattered copy, and go through and, and just kind of zip, say, Breshi, what's one verse? One verse, one, one word. 
and you can talk so, for hours. Some of those, some of those are just impossible to like. How, how could I ever choose in some of them? Well, that's it. You have to be disciplined about it. You have to be ruthless. Ruthless in the study of Torah. But on Shavuot, you can't be ruthless. You have to be with Ruth. <laughs> you could do that with. You could do that with each. Each book also of the Bible is, is to pick to pick a verse or something like that. Absolutely. So I, I, I only stopped at the end of, end of uh, Mezot HaBracha. I was going to go on into Yoshua, but it was like, enough already, enough. Gonna, um, and here we are. We are, we have reached the end of our time together. It's always a pleasure. It's such a great, great pleasure to be together. We, we, you know what? Torah gives us life. And, and, and uh, you know, that's really what it's about. The study of Torah really is about Arichut Yamin. Absolutely. This this makes our this makes our day our week. This makes our 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 time and it'll make our Shavuot. And awesome. To our people, to the eight, to the nine, to our fans. I, I bet we get a minion this week. We're I gonna bet we get a minion. For it. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful Shavuot. Chag Sameach to you all. And we'll see you all next week on the next edition of Parsha Talk to my good friend, Gary Chester. There we go, Oscar.